depending on how old you are and depending on how cheesy your tastes are, you may be familiar with a television sitcom of the title, Father Knows Best. Oh, I see that you are old enough to know that. It originally aired in the 1950s and was about a dad, his wife, their two girls, and a boy, I think I got those stats right, enjoying life in a Midwest town called Springfield, although they never told us what state, never identified what state they resided in. Now, I don't think that many of us would claim that dads always know right. I know I sure wouldn't claim to always know best. Sometimes, in fact, I just pray that God would erase from my kids' memories all of my screw-ups over the years. But dads do know some things, and dads forget some things. Knowledge, what we know, informs, it shapes, it guides dads in their role as fathers. But sometimes we forget what we know. For instance, I know that it's not, it's not good for my kids to eat too much ice cream. But sometimes I forget, and I give them too much ice cream anyway, or allow them to have too much ice cream anyway. I know how to mulch flower beds. Well, at least I thought I did until somebody got too big for his britches and goes behind me and cleans up the work that I have done. But at least I thought I know how to, to mulch a flower bed. I know some things, but sometimes I forget what I already know. Sometimes we forget what we know, and that can be problematic. Our text this morning is similar to that in, in that Paul reminds us about what we already know. The book of Romans uh, is, is, is the sixth book of the Christian New Testament. If you haven't found that yet, would you please turn in your copy of, the, of the, the Scriptures to Romans chapter 6. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's page 794. Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians, both Jewish and Gentile, who resided in Rome, and his aim was to teach them about the undeserved, the unmatched, and the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We're making our way through this book on Sunday mornings, thinking about this theme, and we're thinking about the divisions that we see in the book of Romans. We've talked about the priority of the gospel. We've worked through the heart of the gospel in the, in the first few chapters. And now we're in that section in chapter 5 through chapter 8 that gives us the assurance of the gospel. We've noted as we walk through that third section of Romans that the assurance of the gospel comes as we have peace with God. It comes because we do have access to God. We've thought about that a little bit more this morning. We have joy in God, even through times of suffering. We enjoy a love from God. We understand that we have been represented before God, first by Adam and then by Christ. And now in chapter 6, we're considering this idea of being alive to God. At the end of chapter 5, the apostle explained that we were originally represented to God by our forefather Adam, who royally messed up, and then we followed suit, and we messed up, and we rebelled God, against God as well. And then he followed it up and says, we've, Paul does, and he follows it up and says, you've also been represented by a new Adam, a second Adam, Jesus Christ, who was perfectly successful in representing us before God. And continues, even as we sang this morning before the throne of God, he continues to represent us perfectly before God. Chapter 5 teaches us that we are no longer under sin, under law, 
but under grace. Then Paul asks a great question. Well, if we're no longer under sin, well, let's just look at it from, from Romans chapter 6. He begins by saying this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we have been dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but then he lives, he lives unto God. Friend, if Jesus is not your Savior, if you have never called out in faith to Jesus Christ, this passage explains the beauty of having Christ as your Savior. So as we study this passage this morning, ask God to open your eyes to the reality of Christ's death and resurrection. Christian, this passage, Romans chapter 6, it calls us to rejoice in our union with Christ and to live in light of being united to Christ's death and resurrection, to live in light of being freed from our enslavement to sin. As I said a minute ago, our text this morning is tied together by a series of statements regarding what we know. What we know can make a big difference. We see that word know, K-N-O-W, in verses 3, 6, and 9. Christian, what you know really does make a difference. This passage reminds us that we know three foundational truths, and these truths change how we live and give us hope for when we die. Notice, first of all, that we know that we are united to Christ's death and resurrection. We know that. In Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, they tell us that the one that at one time sin reigned in death, but now grace rules in righteousness leading to eternal life. And then chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, which we just read, explain that if we are united to Christ's death, we are certainly united to his resurrection. Before, we were in Adam, but now we are in Christ. We have been taken out of one state and been placed into another. Last time we were studying in the book of Romans, we noted from verse 3 that we are baptized into Christ's death. That's something that we know. We are immersed. We, we do that when we baptize uh, in, in, in the worship service. We, we recognize the picture of baptism, that we are buried and that we are raised again to walk in newness of life. 
So we know that we are baptized, immersed into his death. We are plunged into the, the spiritual and the eternal benefits of Christ's death on the cross. That thought continues now in verses 4 and 5 where Paul makes the arguments that if we are baptized into Christ's death, we are certainly baptized into his resurrection as well. Verse 5 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So verse 5 is a declaration. Really, verse 5 is an if-then statement. If it's true of one, then it's true of the other. The, the Olympics are just around the corner, I think. Um, I don't think any of us are, are Olympians. I don't think any of us are participating. But we'll probably watch, right? We'll probably be spectators and see the incredible accomplishments by men and women from all over the world. One of my favorite things to do, this probably sounds odd to most people, but is to, to tune in for the last little bit of the, of the long run, the marathon, or whatever they, they call it, however many kilometers it is. And we, we see, we think about them coming down the home stretch, and they take that final lap in the stadium, and, and when the Kenyans cross the finish line, or whoever they are, the, usually the guys, that they're just, they're just hauling. I'm just amazed at their, at their gifts. They cross after however many miles it was, we would never stop and pause and think, hey, I wonder if they could ever run the 100-meter race. They just finished running for miles. Of course, if they can do this, they can certainly do this. That's Paul's point. If one is true, then the other is true. It's more like a sense. Since we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The King James doesn't have the word certainly in there as some other translations do, but I, I, I like to have that word certain, certainly in there. It, 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 it emphasizes the, the reality and the, of the situation. So since we have been planted or united in, in, into Christ and his death, then certainly we're united to him and his resurrection. Paul is declaring that Christians are united to Christ in both his death and his resurrection. But let's not buzz past that word, the, the idea of likeness, too quickly. You see it in verse 5? For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul gives us a slight distinction, distinction in reference to Christ's death. Our death is not identical to Christ's death. We are united in the likeness of Christ's death. We didn't physically die on the cross. We did not endure the actual crucifixion that Christ endured. But we did die in Christ. Well, how can that be? Everything that happened to Christ literally happens to us spiritually. So all that Christ endured, all of the benefits that were gained, the consequences of his literal crucifixion are ours spiritually. So because of our spiritual relationship to Christ, the benefits, the consequences of his literal death become benefits that we enjoy. We're also in the likeness of his resurrection. We have not, we have not died and then been raised from the dead. None of us have. But if we die before Christ returns, we will be resurrected one day. Until then, our relationship to sin has been completely changed. We don't live under the dominion of sin. 
we have been taken out of that realm precisely because we are united to Christ's death and resurrection. This is already done. This is already passed. When we read the word buried in verse number four, it signifies, it points us to the, to the finality. Christ has already died and been buried. We are united to Christ in his death, and as, as Chuck prayed this morning, and his burial and his resurrection. This isn't something that's going to happen, that we're going to die to sin. We already did die. We no longer belong to the realm of sin. We are in the realm of grace. So, friends, all those who have been justified by faith alone, we are currently united in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is what we know. Since we're united to his death, we are certainly united to his resurrection. That is what Paul is declaring. We are planted with Christ in his death and resurrection. We are one with Christ. Do you understand what that means for your communion with God? We are one. We are the son or the daughter of God. We have been united with Christ. Do you remember the communion with God that has been made available to you because you are planted, united together with Christ? You are provided with communion with God through Christ. You can pray at any time of the day and God hears you. You can pray when you are facing a, circum a, a temptation to sin. You can pray when you're grieving. You can pray with thanksgiving at any point, at any time, you can pray at, in any circumstance. You have a special fellowship with God because you are united to Christ. And not only do you enjoy communion with God because you are planted together, you're united together with Christ in his death and his resurrection, you also, as a child of God, and as a part of Harvest Bible Church, get to band together with other people who are also enjoying that communion, that unique communion that only God's children have. Don't forget what you know. You have been united to Christ. Therefore, you have communion with God. Paul makes this declaration, this statement, in verse number five. We are united to, to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Then, in verses 6 and 7, he unfolds the first half of that statement, what it means to be united to Christ's death. And then in verses 8 through 10, he unfolds the second half of the statement in verse 5, what it means to be united to Christ's resurrection. Look again at verse number 6. Here, here's our word again. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So we know, first of all, that we're united to Christ's death and resurrection, but Paul tells us that we know something else. Secondly, we know that we are liberated by Christ's death and resurrection. In this text, Paul is not teaching the church about a duty to put away sin. He's going to do that, but that's not what he's focused on right here in these verses. Rather, here, he's teaching us that God has already acted and that God considers us. He, he looks at us and considers us to have died the same death that Christ died. How amazing is that? So Paul goes back to what we know in verse 6. 
What do we know? First of all, we know that the, the, that the old man is dead. Now, the old man has been crucified with Christ. Now, what, is, what does he mean by the old man? Nobody call out anybody's name, please. There's a nuanced idea here that needs to be clear in our minds. Some people, even commentators, misunderstand this idea of what Paul is calling the old man. They confuse the old man with our old nature. So they will teach or preach that we should be killing the old man. But that can't be true because we read here that the old man has already been crucified with Christ. So here, old man is referring to the man that we were in Adam. The old man is the man that I used to be in Adam. Inclined towards sin, dead in my trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, and by nature a child of wrath. That was the man that was crucified with Christ. John Stott, theologian, said it this way. What was crucified with Christ was not a part of me called my old nature, but the whole of me as I was before I was converted. The whole of me as I was before I was converted. That is what was nailed to the cross. In fact, the verb tense in verse 6 should be passed. The old man was crucified with Christ. So later when Paul tells us, later on in the New Testament, when he tells us to put off the old man, he means to put off the characteristics of the life of that old man. We are never to crucify the old man. That's already been accomplished for us through what Christ did. So what do we know? We know that our old man has been crucified with Christ. Your liberation begins with your old man being crucified. Paul continues. Now he explains this idea of being liberated by telling us that the purpose of our old man being crucified with Christ is that that the body of sin might be done away with, destroyed, brought to nothing. Now we read that in in the middle of verse 6, that the body of sin might be destroyed. When we read might be, it's not talking about the possibility that it's going to be destroyed, Maybe the body of sin is going to be destroyed. Rather, it's a statement that already happened. Let me illustrate it this way. I killed the mouse, hypothetical statement, hypothetical statement. I killed the mouse in our basement that my wife might be relieved. I'm hypothetical, it didn't really happen. I'm communicating that she is already relieved, not that she possibly would be. I did it in order that she might be relieved. Similarly, our old self was already crucified so that the body of sin is already rendered powerless. What does this this mean, the body of sin? A body could literally mean be referring to our physical body. Our body is is often a vehicle to, to sin, isn't it? We can use our body in ways that God would not be pleased. We can overeat to the point of sin. We can oversleep to the point of sin. Sorry, teenagers, I know you're on summer break, but I just we can oversleep to the point of sin and laziness or apathy or even selfishness. Or through our sexuality, indulging our bodies outside the, the marriage bond, outside of God's plan for our marriage in lustful ways, promiscuity, homosexuality, etc., The body can be an instrument with which we have contact 
with our sinful world. It can be a vehicle to engage in sinful actions. But Paul is telling us that that vehicle has been rendered inoperative through Christ's death. And here is more to the liberating equation. The body of sin is brought to nothing. It's rendered inoperable so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Our union to Christ's death renders sin powerless. The reason God removed us from our union with Adam and instead has united us to his son Jesus Christ is so that our inclinations to sin would no longer have power over us. And God's people say, Amen. Sin does not dominate us any longer. We are in Christ. Sin does not have the final say in the life of a Christian. Sin does not rule over God's children. Grace rules over God's children. We have literally been set free from sin. The stranglehold of sin has been broken in Christ's victory. Verse 7 says that the one who has died has been set free from sin. So we are dead to sin. Why? So that we may be freed from sin. Friends, we, these, these are present realities. These are not hopeful desires, okay? I hope one day that sin won't reign in my life. No, the old man has been crucified with Christ. Therefore, right now, I am freed from sin. I'm liberated from the bondage of sin. We are dead to sin so that we are freed from it. Christ's death and his resurrection, it severs the hold of sin on an individual. And to be liberated from sin is to be liberated to something new. When somebody who has not been born again, does not have faith in Jesus yet, when they sin, they're living in a way that is consistent with who they are. But when somebody who has been united to Christ's death and his resurrection, who has been justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ, when that person sins, they're living in a way that is inconsistent with who they are. Therefore, If a Christian sins, and we all do, right? When we sin, it is because we have forgotten what we know. We have forgotten that we are already dead to sin. Friends, we have been liberated from the rule of sin, enslaved no more. Yesterday was Juneteenth which is now a federal holiday and celebrates the just liberation of individuals in our country who were sinfully and unjustly enslaved back in the 1800s. Can you imagine, can you imagine the response of those people when they received word that they had been liberated, that they were now freed from all enslavement? Can you imagine the relief and the joy that swept over them? Christian, you have been set free because you're united to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have been liberated from your enslavement to the rule of sin. So Christian, you are free and your freedom summons you by virtue of your union with Christ's death and resurrection. You no longer have to yield to the temptations that you face day in and day out. 
You no longer have to yield to the temptation of sinful anger. When you are faced with an opportunity to indulge in lustful thinking, you have the option not to. You can, by God's grace, say no to the pleasures and the pulls of sin. You've been born again. The chains are gone. You've been set free. So, we are called to cease living as if we were still in Adam. We have been freed from having to live like we were in Adam, and now we can live like Christ. That means you can have confidence in your Christian living. Not because you're a great person, not because you have a lot of self-discipline, not because, you're, not because of anything in you. You can have confidence in your Christian living, in living in a holy life for the glory of God, because you've been liberated by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that we are united to Christ's death and resurrection. We know that we are liberated by Christ's death and resurrection. Paul gives us one more piece of information that we know in this passage. We know that we are secured by Christ's death and resurrection. Paul made the statement in verse 5, you're united. In verses 6 and 7, he explained what it means that we are united to Christ's death. Chiefly, that we are liberated from, from the dominion of sin and that we can live confidently. Now in verses 8 through 10, he explains the second half of that statement from verse number 5. Chiefly, that we, are, that we are united to Christ, what it means to be united to Christ's resurrection. Follow along again as I read it, verse 8. Now if we have been dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died... He died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. So we ask ourselves again, what, what do we know about being secured in Christ? We know, Paul tells us, that Christ will never die again. Jesus will never die again. We know that Jesus will never succumb to the enemy of death. We know that, that death will not have dominion over Christ. We know that his, his death, his only death, was sufficient to defeat death. We know that he lives. We know that Jesus lives to God. And because of all of that, our future is secure. Have you spent time this year thinking back over the last 18 months or so? It's interesting to watch history repeat itself, isn't it? It's also interesting to watch history unfolding in our own lives, modern, current history. It's interesting to see how life unfolds the way we think it will or the way, we, the way we might not have ever thought. For instance, nobody in 2019 was predicting how 2020 would go. At least they weren't predicting it accurately. We can't know all of the details of our future. We can't be confident, we can't be secure in all the, the ins and out details of our life. But we do know that Christ will never succumb to the enemy of death. We do know that death does not have dominion over Christ. And so we do know that our future is secured by Christ's death and resurrection. If we do die, if we do leave this earthly journey before Christ returns, we do know that we will live again. 
our future is secure. Christ will never die again. Lazarus was, was resurrected from the dead, but he died again. Not so with Christ. He was resurrected, and he remains alive. His resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, ends the power of death over himself and ends the power of final death of all who are, over, or, or, all who are in him. I love that phrase that Paul used, death has no dominion. The power of sin was taken care of once and for all. The penalty of sin was taken care of once and for all. Christ died to the penalty of sin. He met the legal demand. Christ died to the power of sin. He broke the power of sin over those who are trusting in him. Once for all. Never needs to be repeated. We read from Hebrews this morning about how high priests would offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice for the sins of the people. Jesus died once. And his blood was enough to wash away all our sins. Friend, you cannot secure your own future. You are not secure because you in your own efforts are able to stop sinning. You are already secure because you died to sin as you are united to Christ. You are not secure because of something you did. You are secure because of something Christ did. You are not secure for a limited time only. You are secure for all of eternity through what Christ did for you. Your security rests in the reality that Christ will never die again. Your security rests in the reality that his single death brings an absolute end to the rule of sin over you in this earthly journey. So how do we respond to this knowledge that we have that we are secured by Christ's death and resurrection? We're comforted. We're comforted with this reality. Be comforted with the knowledge that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Be comforted with the, the knowledge that Christ has conquered. Be comforted with the knowledge that your standing before God rests in His Son, Jesus Christ, not in your ability. Christian, rest. Be assured when you choose the path of sin this week and whatever your besetting sin is, unkindness, disrespect to authority, dishonesty, some sensuality, whatever it is, when you choose the path of sin this week because you have forgotten that your old man has been crucified with Christ, when that happens, and it will, be comforted, be consoled with the reality that because Christ has conquered, your standing with God has not been compromised. The comfort of your security in Christ makes all the difference as you face the death of a loved one, as you face disease, or as you struggle through the darkness of life in this terribly sinful world. Christians, enjoy. We have been blessed with a unique comfort through our union with Jesus Christ because our future is secure. I ask you, do you have that comfort? Are you secure about your future as a result of being united to Christ's death and resurrection?
If not, I implore you to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Well, Father knows best? Nah, not all the time. Certainly not always. But a father knows some things. And what he knows makes a big difference as he fulfills his role. Likewise, Christian, you know what you know makes a huge difference in your journey of life. Here is what you know. You know that you are united to Christ's death and his resurrection. So you have communion with God. You know that you have been liberated by Christ's death and his resurrection so you can walk with confidence in this life, in this, in this journey on, on earth. You can walk with confidence because you are connected to Jesus Christ. You can live a holy life. You are freed from the enslavement to sin. And you know that you are secured by Christ's death and resurrection. So comfort is yours. Christian, on that final day, you can be confident that you will be saved precisely because you're united to Christ's death and his resurrection. You are secured by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are held fast by the nailed, pierced hands and the welcoming arms of your Savior. You are standing firm on the solid rock where your only hope is built on Jesus' blood and righteousness. You were already brought out of darkness, and now you're residing in the marvelous light. You are living a new life. At one time, you lived under the rule of sin, but now, praise be to God, you live under the rule and the reign of grace. You are serving a new master, Because once you have have been liberated from the bondage of sin, and now that new master will never die again. Death will not have dominion over him. You are residing in a new kingdom where the the kingdom belongs to the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This happens because Jesus died, and then he rose again. And by grace, you are eternally attached to all of the benefits of that death and that resurrection. Do you see it, Christian? Gospel assurance is found in the reality that we are currently alive to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are so identified with Christ's death and resurrection that we actually died with him and truly are raised with him so that we now share in his resurrection life. So go, live in the communion that God has provided for you. Go and live in confidence, shunning the the sin and the temptations of this world and live with confidence that you've been set free that you can walk in newness of life to the praise of God's glory and go and live in the comfort that God has provided you, the comfort that we each need in our, as we traverse the, the life path that God has called us to walk. You are united. You are liberated. You are secured. We are raised with him. Death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. And we shall reign with him, for he lives. Christ Jesus is risen from the dead. Let's pray.